of your, your total makeup. And your me does very human things. Your me thinks, your me feels, your me makes decisions. So your me has these mental processes. Your me is very emotional. And then your me will make decisions based upon what you have thought and based upon what you have now, in the, the creation of all of us human beings, God made us in his image, and he made us triune. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says the very God of peace has got to work in us the word that the Bible uses, sanctify. It's just a, a very uh, religious word that means God has got to touch you in a powerful way. And he has to touch, this is the way it reads, your whole spirit, soul, and body. So we have, we are spirit. And this, this spirit it is what enables us to make contact with that other realm of existence where God is, called the world of the spirit. And the Bible says a lot to us about that. You have to walk in the spirit. You have to live after the spirit. The spirit is meant to be the governor, the, the, the one who sets the, the footstep, and then soul and body is to follow. Now the body is nothing more than, than the big part of you that lets you make contact with the earth. When, when your body dies, you're going to live forever somewhere, hopefully in heaven with God. And your body enables you to function here in the earth. And this is why we have phrases like, you are the body of Christ. Because Christ needs a body. The Holy Spirit inhabits a body when, when we are full of him. And, and the body is the part that we make contact with. That's what you're looking at today with me. I live in this body. And thank God I got up and did some work on it this morning because it looks a lot better right now than it did at 6 this morning. <laughs> So, the body. But I, I want to talk about this, this other part of us. The me, which is in every one of us. And sometimes as Christians, we talk a lot about spirit. You know, and then we come over here and we, we mention body and we say God wants to heal your bodies. But sometimes this, this thing in us, which is called soul, in the Bible, and I'm calling me, we, we overlook it. Now, this me is like the filter between the spirit and the body. So that everything that comes from that world of the spirit, where God is, you're going to filter that through your, your me. Your me is going to think about it. Your me is going to feel certain ways. And then your me will make decisions. Everything that comes from outside of the world through the body is filtered by your me. And your me decides if you like it. Your me will think about it. And your me will make decisions. And let us be very sure, women, that your decisions are not made over here in the world of the spirit. Your decisions are made in your me, where you think, you feel, and you make decisions. So this little filter in us becomes very important. Now, I know how women are. Every one of you this morning have done some filtering. So you, you've looked up here at me, you, you filtered me this morning. 
I hope she's going to, she's looking pretty good for a 75 year old girl. She's looking pretty good. Now, some of you may not talk that much. Some of you may say, well, I don't like all that glitter on her sweater. You know, it's a little early in the morning. Now, that makes you far. Maybe she shouldn't have worn that. Uh, how many of you have ever looked at these young 20 year olds and those stilettos and thought, how can they walk in those shoes? How can you filter all of that? And you make decisions. You're filtering. Oh, I don't like that. I do like that. She pushes my buttons and I love her. And, and you're, you're filtering. So this, this me. It's just hollow and important. And sometimes we, we come together and we just don't talk about this. We, we just overlook this. Now in Proverbs 13, 25, there's a scripture that we sort of just read right over this and don't pay any attention to it. But it says, The righteous eat to the satisfying of the soul. The satisfying of the me, when the Bible says soul, just put me in there. The righteous eat to the satisfying of the, the me. So in you is a me, and the me in you has one agenda. It wants to be satisfied. It wants me's way. It wants things the way me thinks. Uh, me's feelings want to feel very good, and uh, we all have encountered me wanting to be satisfied when we're raising a two-year-old child. How many have ever met that, a two-year-old child? The me in that child wants me's way, and uh, if you don't give that me me's way, me lets you know real quickly that me is not happy. Now, in, in talking about this, the Bible puts it in the realm of eating. Because the Bible knows that there's something every one of us in this room do, and we eat. Everybody in this room eats. Before night comes, we will have eaten again. It's a very common thing. Now, we do not, in this country, eat because we're hungry. We eat to be emotionally satisfied. So we go down the buffet lines, and you don't just grab the first thing you see. Uh, I saw you at the tables this morning. <laughs> You're looking for something that satisfies your me. Something that appeals to your me. Very emotional. My husband will say to me, uh, where do you want to eat tonight? We're going to a restaurant. And I always say, I don't care. And his answer to that is, you're lying. You <laughs> care. And I say, well, I don't. I don't care. Just eat. with eat. Okay, we'll just go to McDonald's. McDonald's? I can't believe. Because McDonald's doesn't satisfy them. You follow that? How many of you have ever been upset maybe before the chocolate chip ice cream felt better after you did it? You just felt better. How many of you ever went to a restaurant and you, you were so full you had to actually unbutton the button on your slacks and you came out and said, that didn't satisfy me. I mean, you're belching, everybody smelled all right. You say, well, I was not satisfied. So there's something very we have to recognize that this is the me in us. And me wants to be satisfied. Now all sin began when a woman operated from her me. Eve ate of the fruit God told her that she should not eat. Now when Eve ate, she did not eat from hunger because Eve could eat of every tree in the garden. God had said, you can eat anything here but that tree. And Eve, the Bible says, was moved by what was good 
closer to the eyes and what was to be desired. And, and she filtered what this servant was telling her through her need, and she acted from that place. Now, why would Eve have done that? I mean, this woman had it made. God had put her in a garden that was perfect. The environment was perfect. She didn't even have to cook. The trees were giving her food. Uh, she was married to the sexiest man alive because he's the only man alive. So uh, I guess it's a hug for her. And you know, here she is. And naked looked good. When was the last time naked looked good? Go walk around with no clothes. Naked. what 
me wants to hear. So that when me doesn't like it, me says, well, I didn't want that. Me don't believe that. Me's not going to do that. And, and this, this whole thing uh, can, in a religious way, pervert what we try to do here because there's something very powerful in us that wants to be satisfied. When the meeting's over, you want to feel good about what you ate. You want to feel good about the music. You want to feel good about me. And you want to just leave here and say, that was the greatest meeting I've ever been in. And all you did was just satisfy me. Now the thing about God is that God sometimes does things that me don't want to do. That me don't like. Forty-five years ago, God dealt with me, a Methodist woman, about speaking in other tongues. And back then, I was 30 years old, and the only people I knew who spoke in tongues were in state campers up on the sand mountain. They lived 30 miles from us, and they spoke with tongues, quote unquote, and had to say, so I'm like, here, God. And God had to deal with my maybe and show me it was a scriptural thing. A lot of what we just do in religious services is just shopping around for something that, that satisfies this thing called me. Now, Popo is a fictional character. He's, you know, sort of a cartoon character. This quote comes from Pogo. I'm going to give you the quote and I'll paraphrase it. Pogo said, we have met the enemy and it is us. And I'm going to put it this way. I have met the enemy and it is me. So that my biggest struggle in 60 years of Christianity, 45 years of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, has been to produce a me in June Evans that, that lines up with the me God wanted me to be. This has been my greatest struggle. As I said earlier, uh, it hasn't been the devil. The devil was defeated by Jesus Christ at Calvary. It hasn't been demons because I can cast devils out. But me is with me always. So this is what I have to say uh, about that. Me is my biggest problem. Me is always present in my life. Me gives opinions when I don't want to hear them. Me is very critical. Me is very insecure. Me keeps me up all night long talking to me about me. <laughs> me spends most of my time thinking about me. Most of me's day is about satisfying me. Me wants my way. Me wants to be satisfied. So, so here's, here's this, this thing in us, this, this identity called me that is very powerful. And listen to me, women. It'll even trump God. It will even trump God. There are many people today not where God wants them to be, not because of the enemy, but because of me, which was not brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, when God talks to us about spiritual warfare, and all this means is are the battles, the stress places, the trouble we go through in life, God teaches us it's in this area of our being. So that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, don't give place to the devil. And then he lists all of these bad emotions. These emotional things that are in us. Anger and bitterness and uh, temper, uh, unforgiveness. And Paul has connected that with giving place to the devil. So I say to you this morning, if the devil is going to have a place in us, where we be not in our spirits, and certainly he cannot possess us, but he absolutely 
can influence us emotionally. He absolutely can work in that area of our lives. So that in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5, Paul said this, For the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now where are those strongholds? Listen to what he said. Casting down imaginations, that's something in your me. And every high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God, where it is the high thing, it's in your thought processes, in your emotions. These are high things that will exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And, now listen to this one, bringing into captivity every thought. Dear God, just think about what you think. You don't even have to tell me. It's bad stuff. You don't think, go read Facebook. There's some bad thoughts out there in Facebook. And God says, you don't have to bring that into obedience. There's something in you that's just running wild. And until this is touched and brought into obedience, uh, your lives are not going to be whole. The church will not be what the church is supposed to be. So, emotions, thoughts, those are strongholds. Imagination literally means not what you see in a vision. It means arguments and feelings which fight against God. So in me are emotions, thoughts, arguments, which fight against God. And then it says that we have to bring every thought in, into captivity. So there has to be something done about me. Because me is a big problem. I heard of a lady started getting married eight times, and they asked her, they said uh, she was being interviewed. Well, well, how come you got married eight times? And she said, Well, I just never did find the right man. And I thought about that, and I thought, Honey, there was one constant in all eight marriages, and it was you. <laughs> it may not be the wrong man; it may be something wrong with you. Because listen to me, whether you change husbands, but me's gonna live with you the rest of your life. And the problem may not be the husband, it may be me. Uh, you change churches, but me's going to move with you. You leave the people you don't like, but me is going to leave with you. Me's just very, very powerful. And me will do all kinds of crazy things. How many ever done something crazy and you look back on it and think, where did that come from? My dad smoked in the bathroom when, when we were young and set the bathroom curtains on fire. <laughs> so dad opened the bathroom door, smoke's billowing out of the bathroom and the walls on fire, and dad screams, fire! Now in that home is my daddy standing in the door of the bathroom, my mother, myself, my brother, and my sister and the wall in the bathroom is on fire. And you know what I do? I run to the living room where my mother's brand new Boston rocker was sitting, and I rescued the rocking chair. And I took it into the front yard. I didn't rescue my little brother. I didn't rescue my sister. I didn't help mom and dad beat out the fire. I'm rescuing the rocking chair. And after everything is over and the fire's out and we're all panting and panting, Dad looked out in the front yard and he said, How did your mother's rocking chair get in the front yard? And I said, I rescued it. You're in the fire. Places where people scream fire and you just do all kinds of crazy stuff. 
So she knows us. She knows my son. My son does her accounting work. She knows our family. Now, this woman, how shall I describe her? She's probably 40-ish. And uh, she's pretty in a babe sort of way. You know what I mean by babe? Kind of has big hair and big boobs. <laughs> kind of tight jeans. You know, kind of a, a babe. You know, it's pretty that way. And my husband just loves her cooking. So one day we're in a room about this size. She said, Rented a, a bar of an antebellum home, and she knocked out the walls. And it was kind of a you know antebellum home, and that was her restaurant. And we're in there eating. My husband, myself, my grandchildren, Sam and Ashley, and my daughter-in-law. Five of us. We're at a table in the corner. She comes out of the kitchen where she's been cooking, and she spies us. So she comes over to our table. Because she knows us. Now, I'm at the table, my daughter-in-law, my two grandchildren. She ignores us. My husband is seated right here, his head about this level. She walks up to him, grabs his head, and pulls it into her chest. And his head disappears. <laughs> and she said, hi, Jean. And then his head was going up and down. And all I could see was one eye. It was one eye that was just looking out. And that eye looked happy. That was happy. And we'll let God just deal with my husband and her. And I'll let that go on. But I think sometimes I said that and that's the point. I think sometimes we're so enveloped in soul, flesh, emotions, and thoughts that all we have free is one eye. And, and we, we can see, we can see, but, but we're in bondage. Because we have been swamped by that part of our lives. Now Jesus gave us something that probably important. We kind of read over it and don't come back to it. In Mark 8, verse 34 and 35, he says, Whosoever will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And I'm going to put the feminine pronoun here. For whosoever will save her life, her mean life, Whoever's going to uh, really live from that perspective and do life from the me, it is going to lose it. it that's a losing battle. If you're just going to live from that part of you, that, that's a losing battle. But whosoever is willing to lose her life for my sake and the gospel, then that person who will lose that knee line is going to find life. This is what Jesus has said. So we have to deal with something that is very, very strong in each of us. And none of us are going to follow Jesus until that is done in our lives because we will just always be following me. We'll be doing what me wants. We'll search for friends who satisfy me. We'll go to churches where me is happy. We'll seek uh, that power of me to be satisfied rather than being obedient to, to the will of God. Now the sole answer to the me in us is in God. If you ever want to conquer me, uh, you have to go to God. Because in Psalm 139, and I would suggest you go home in your quiet mind and read it. Because it is about how God has known me. And David begins by saying, Lord, you have searched me. Now listen to this. 
and you know me. So, so God knows me. God, God put this part of me in my life. Spirit came together with body and I became a self. I became a me. Uh, God mixed my mother's DNA with my daddy's DNA and produced a me. And then six years later, uh, he did the same thing and he produced another me, my sister. And then nine years later, he did the same thing with the same two people and produced another me, my brother. And in that process, using the same two people, we have three me's. And I'm nothing like my sister. My brother is nothing like me. We are separate individuals. And the Bible says God's the one that knows this. God's the one that produces the me. And David said, God, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my path, you know my ways. Before I even say anything with my tongue, you knew I was going to say it before I said it. And then he says this. Now, now I want you to pay close attention to this. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My substance, my body, my soul, was not hid from you when I was wrought in secret. And that goes even beyond the mother's womb, but we'll put it in the mother's womb. When God knit us together in our mother's womb, God knew our substance. And your eyes did see my substance being yet imperfect. And in your book, all of my members, I'm going to put it this way, all of the days of my life were written before they ever were in. And then David says this, how precious are your thoughts unto me. So if I'm going to conquer this me, which is in my life, I have to go back to God. Because God has made me a me, and God has to bring that power into my emotions. God has to uh, bring that power into my thoughts. So that I'm making decisions which are obedient, not emotional, not based on being satisfied. And David teaches us here, and, and I want you to think about this, that God thinks about me. God, before I was ever born, put my days in a book and wrote out the days of my life. And I have lived my life saying to God, God, what did you see me doing today? When I'm in situations of bad warfare and having to make tough decisions, I pray to God and I say, God, when you wrote my days, what did you see me doing here? How did you see me reacting so that I'm in line with your spirit? And when I get up in the morning, I say, God, what are you thinking about me? What is it you're thinking that I haven't thought about? Rather than bringing God down to my level, trying to get him to do something about me, I'm bringing my me up to God's level. And letting God produce a Jew that I could never have produced left to my own self. So we have to understand, women, that every one of us in the room have great value to God. There are no throwaways in here. There are no important women who stand at the podium and then the rest of you sit in the chair. That's not the way it works. God wrote your days and you are alive in 2014 by divine appointment, not by an accident of conception. God puts you here at this time, at this place, and the key to your life is to fulfill what I'm going to call a destiny. Meaning that whatever purpose and ideas God had for your life 
are not enveloped in your me with just one eye out and, and barely able to breathe because your me is so tired. But you won't spend your life doing stupid things like rescuing rocking chairs out of burning houses, marrying eight men, seeking for a man who can answer your me problems. Men do not answer your me problems. God answers your me problems. God does this. We have to turn to God. And I have to find my identity. Who is June Evans? Who is she? And what is it I have been created to do? And what kind of thoughts is God having about my life? And how am I going to forfeit my me life so that I can find his life? So that I go where God wants me to go. I don't choose to stay home on Mother's Day. But I pray as I think you're supposed to be in Chicago. And so here I am, praise God. Because <laughs> God said this is where I'm supposed to be. And I like sometimes we really don't like ourselves. So we try to put on different identities. Be who we're not. Somebody gave me a wiglet one time and said, look, you travel a lot, you just pull your hair up. And it was on a big banana clip. It, it said you just put that thing on the back of your head and you won't even have to do anything to your hair. You'll just look really good. Well, I'm a small woman, small shoulders. And this was a huge piece of hair. And I put it on, went in, showed it to my husband. I said, how does this look? He said, like a wild coyote is going to attach myself to the back of your head. He said, the hair is bigger than you are. And I said, well, maybe I need to throw this away. Just go back to being who I am. And I'm not a head of hair, praise God. But when we attach these false identities, speakers are the world's worst to do this. Try to come out on the stage and be somebody that they're not. Listen to me, women. You cannot compare yourself to other women. Amen. There is no comparison. God made you you. There's a me in you. And you cannot look at another woman and somehow devalue you. God formed you in your mother's womb. And God knew how to put you together and to thumb your nose and God, for the way he puts you together, is to despise the creation of God. Yeah. You see, we, we must learn to value that. And just because somebody else is better at something than you, doesn't mean you're not good at something. You know, people always say, well, I, I'm not good at that. But there is something you are good at. And you never have to compete. I do not have to come here and be the cutest, sweetest, most anointed little speaker you've ever had. That's not my agenda. My agenda is to be obedient to God. Amen. And hopefully the next one of the speaker will be as cute and sweet and as anointed and going to be as obedient to God as I am. But we're not in competition here. We don't have to compare ourselves and say, well, she's better and she can do it better. Your me is not competing with other people's me. You have value. I, I went to a church, and uh, the way they did things, they told me they did it this way, is uh, while you were speaking and people liked your message, they actually brought money and laid it on the uh, altar steps. Wow. And it was a big, huge mega church. I'm one of many speakers in this conference. The gal on the first night, there were $5,000 on the offering set. Wow. They told me this over breakfast the next morning. $5,000. Now I didn't count the other offerings, but there was a lot of money on the steps. And then on Sunday morning, it was my time. You know what I got? $3. Three. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they brought up. Bring a wrinkled, ragged, one dollar bill. 
to just resist, saying, God, give me another dollar. Give me another dollar. <laughs> now, how many of you know that can play with your mind? For sure. You go crazy trying to be a $5,000 speaker. I called my husband and told him that story. He said, well, Jim, they were probably just out of money. They gave me all of
But in 55 years of marriage, I've never been time to see him touch me emotionally. But I'm still married. Still married. Still connected. We did a meeting in the town, and uh, this guy had sent out brochures and spent lots of money. And we were in a room bigger than this. And the night of the meeting, there was a total of 15 people in the room. 15 people with hundreds of chairs. Nine of us had to be there. <laughs> the singers, the offering, you know, the ushers, us. So he stood up at the meeting. This is the way it started. He looked at us 15. He said, this is pitiful. <laughs> Spent all this money, made all these phone calls. Look who showed up. We're looking at each other. <laughs> this is pitiful. He just went, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Second night, same 15. Pitiful. That's what he said. And by the time I got up to preach, it was pitiful. The music was pitiful. He was pitiful. I was pitiful. Nobody came forward for prayer. Last night, my husband preached, called him heathen. Nobody came up. And my husband and I looked at each other when we left town and said, That was <laughs> <laughs> And it came the way we judged bad meat. Say, well, this one was bad, but it was not as bad as. <laughs> now, 15 to 20 years later, we're in Atlanta, Georgia, in a meeting, waiting for a speaker to come out on the platform to speak. We're sitting in kind of a nosebleed section, kind of halfway up, waiting, you know, people were coming in. We're just looking around, waiting for the meeting to start. And this woman walks up to us and said, Aren't you the Evans? We said, Yes, we are. She said, I thought it was. She said, I came over here to reintroduce myself. She said, you don't remember me, but I was in the meeting in, and she called my name a pitiful town. And we said, oh, no, we remember that meeting. She said, well, I wanted you two to know that that was the greatest meeting I have ever been in. And I thought, well, honey, you need to go to some meetings. <laughs> And then she looked at my husband. And she said, Brother Evans, she said, on the last night she spoke on healing. And she said, you gave an altar call for sick people. And nobody came forward to be anointed with oil. And she said, I saw it in your eyes. She thought she did this God. She said, but what she didn't know is I was dying of cancer. I had only been given a few weeks to live. And it had taken all my energy to come to those three nights of meetings. But she said, on that last night, I don't know why I didn't go forward, but she said, I heard what you said, and I believed it, even though I didn't come forward for prayer. And she said, the next time I went to the doctor, I had been totally healed. <laughs> and she said, 15 years later, I'm still alive and well, and that was the greatest meeting I have ever been in my life. And I'll tell you girls something, it released me from seeing that anointing has to be a feeling. God works far beyond what we feel. And we have to uh, understand that God, God wants us released from these conformities to our needs. Now, our souls our needs can be commanded. David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now that is David telling his emotions and his mind what to do. It's, it's hard for us to understand. We can command, we can rule our emotions. We can rule our thoughts. And we cannot do it alone. We must have the Holy Spirit in our lives anointing us. And when the Bible says to us, you must be immersed into the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is not just some kind of little experience 
that makes us speak with tongues. This is an immersion of our lives into the Holy Spirit. And that immersion permeates every part of us. So that the Bible talks this way. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of being full of anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and insecurity and fearfulness and inferiority and competition, all of a sudden there is a presence of God which has filled us and which has permeated us to the point that our emotions and our thought life can come under the dominion and the control of the Holy Spirit. So this baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a Pentecostal thing. It is a power of God to enable us to be free from our prison houses of me and to do something uh, about me. The, the Holy Spirit uh, upon our lives. Now, my, my son, Gary, was a, a hunger. And Gary hung. And he particularly hung when he ate. Don't ask me why he hung when he ate, but he did. And we would sit at the table and he would chew food. Pass the bread. Just thought us crazy. We'd say, here, don't do that. Don't do that. He just did. So this was back in the 70s. And I said to my husband, I'm going to take him to breakfast. And when he comes home from school, I'm going to sit him in his room and make him listen to himself hum until dinner time. And then he'll see how irritating that is. So that morning, I had a little cassette recorder. That's what we had. I put a little cassette tape in. I turned it on, and my husband, James, Gary, my other son, Mark, came to the breakfast table. And Gary's humming. Mm -hmm. You know, he can stare at me. Me wants me way. Me is my problem. 
Me has opinions. And we're going to surrender me. And then Jerry's going to come. And then I, I'm going to just pray for somebody. Would that be all right? But I'm going to say a prayer now. Jerry, you come on up. And Father, I pray for every one of us. Raise your hands again, women. That the Holy Spirit will take over our lives. That the Holy Spirit will free us from our needs to be the women that you know us to be. Lord, you knew us before you ever formed us. I pray that none of us will conform to other people's images, but we will be conformed to the image of God. And we will prosper. We will have successful journeys through life because the power of the Holy Spirit is working in us. In Jesus' name.